At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hello there, Internet. Welcome back to another episode of Real Psych. I am Dr. J.D. Barton. I am a clinical psychologist. And I am Dr. Joanna Witkin, and I am a cognitive neuroscientist. Real Psych is a podcast where we give our completely unnecessary professional opinions on the lives, minds, and relationships in all of your favorite movies. Hey, J.D., will there be learning? Uh-huh. Will there be science? Oh, I think so. Will there be delightfully informal conceptualizations about the minds of non-real people from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways? Oh, girl, you know there will be. (laughs) Welcome back, everybody. Yay. Yay. We are here. Yes, we are. Yes. Y'all, I gotta say, people have been saying the nicest things about this podcast. Yeah, people think we're pretty smart, which is fun. (laughs) Which is nice because we don't always agree and it's nice that we are successfully tricking other people into believing so. I mean, I think too, like, I'm used to being in spaces where I don't feel like the smartest person. Right. Same. This is just another example of, uh, you know, faking it is maybe it. Maybe that is it. It's a common theme. (laughs) It's a common theme. Faking it. Yeah. Uh, but no, really, everybody, the, the feedback we've been getting and the, like, kind words are so lovely. So many people have left five-star reviews. In fact, we have a perfect five-star rating. Amazing. Uh, which is lovely. Um, yeah. How's your week? It's been good. It's been long. I have, like, a lot of knots in my back. So that's, like, mm, you know, mm-hmm. an indication of a tough week. Yeah. I hear that. How about you? I hear that. My week's been pretty actually good. I've decided that 2022 is going to be a really good year. I've and also decided that, despite any evidence to the contrary. I'm just ignoring it. That's my new strategy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I am, uh, I actually have, you know, knock on wood, which I will literally do right now because I am a bit of a superstitious person. Uh, I have had a pretty great year and I am so excited. I've been really busy uh, with work, but in the good way, in the work that I want to be doing and in therapy and in practice. And so it's been really nice to just like sit with people in feelings, which is my favorite thing to do. That's awesome. Other than to sit with you. Right. In podcast. I sit with my feelings by myself. So and that's how I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, the other day, speaking of, this feels like uh, uh, someone was suggesting different movies that we could do. And, oh, uh, so many suggestions, and I want to do all of them. Like, literally so all of good. them. There's there's no... I feel like we're going to do this podcast till we die. Till we die. <laughs> we have so many suggestions. So many good suggestions. One of my favorites, though, uh, because of because we started with, with Runaway Bride, somebody was like, you should do that Julia Roberts one, where she goes and has pasta and does yoga. And I was like, live, laugh, love. <laughs> that was like the name as it existed in my brain was live laugh love and I was like that's not right but actually it's correct yeah it should be that it really should be that that's Uh, what it's called when you go to home goods and you buy the dvd there 
Yeah, it's called, it's wine o'clock somewhere. <laughs> well, should we do another movie? Yes, and I get to choose this week. So All right. very exciting. I'm very excited. I'm a little nervous. I think. What if I don't guess it? No, you, you will. Uh, okay, so I'm going to give you the tagline. Okay. Uh, there's a little magic in all of us, almost all of us. A little magic in all of us, almost. Oh, is this, is this Encanto? Yeah. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I've been like <gasps> saving it. Yeah, but I'm really excited. Uh, I've, I mean, only heard incredible things. It's like, you know, pretty recent. It's streamable. I feel like it's a good choice. I also am very excited to talk about intergenerational trauma. Yeah, intergenerational <laughs> trauma. It's it's a Colombian narrative, so mm-hmm. it's like not Peruvian but adjacent. Right. It's like, yeah, it's Peruvian adjacent, like literally ge- geographically. Literally adjacent <laughs> to Peru. So um, yeah, I'm really excited to hear what you have to say. I saw this movie uh, in theaters because I have AMC stubs, <laughs> so I go it's see ama- movies Amazing a lot. plug. I wear a mask. They're gonna they're gonna be our first sponsor. I mean, honestly, that'd be great. Even <laughs> if your sponsorship is just like a free stubs. A free popcorn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Encanto. I'm so excited. <laughs> I love this movie. Uh, and I think you're going to really like this movie a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I think I'll, there'll be lots of emotions, lots of good things Several. To, to research. Um, my sister saw it and, you know, says it's amazing, so... Great I'm memes. Excited. There's really good memes. I it's like all over TikTok too. Yeah, it's and very I keep TikTok-y scrolling right past now. them because I don't want spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll like this a lot. Um, you know what's funny is when you said when you said there's a little magic in all of us, almost all of us. I was like, is this opposite Matilda? Like I was like, what? <laughs> Which it kind of is. It is, yeah. It kind it of be. is. I'm very excited. Yay. I think the audience is very excited. I think TikTok is going to be losing their minds. And that's what it's all about, folks. I mean, we're not even on TikTok, but I bet they're freaking out. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I love this. Well, we will be right back. We're going to go watch the movie. We're going to come right back. And we'll be different people by the time we talk to you next. (laughs) Totally different. Woo! Okay, bye. Bye. That sounds like Sex in the City. Is that you're the musical one? It's supposed to be our our singing. uh, I'm singing all about Bruno right now. I mean, is there anything else? I mean, can I just tell you something really fun and cute? Yes. Is right before this, I've been running around being a busy girl on the go. And I forgot to eat. So I was like, I got to go get food before I record this. Uh, and I went and got a Happy Meal because I'm cute and relatable. Adorable. And look what the toy was. No. Oh, my God. It's, it's Louisa. Louisa. <laughs> oh That's amazing. She's both strong and beautiful. I mean, gorgeous. I love gorgeous. Louisa. Yeah. Do they have I, all of them? Like, you're going to have to go get more Happy Meals. <laughs> I'm going to have to go get so many I want all of those. 
So uh. if if y'all listening uh, uh, haven't figured it out already, I think we both really like this movie. <laughs> so good. It's so it's... good. I can't believe I didn't see it until now. I know. You hate stories about South Americans. I know. I mean, it's just classic. Classic me. Historically. Historically. My take, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what did you think? You t- why don't you tell me, uh, what are your reactions? Because I had seen it and I gave a little bit of mine before the break. What are your reactions? Um, it was so good. So I had some kind of notions going into it because I'm on the internet at all, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. I was trying not to read spoilers, but very obviously themes of intergenerational trauma and yeah. it's very close to family. And I knew that it was about, um, you know, the main character, didn't have special powers, but the entire family did. Um, and so I, and that I heard this Bruno song, like I heard it before. So then when I saw right. it in the movie, it's it all was over like, TikTok. Um, yeah, immediately stuck in my head forever. But um, I, I mean, it was so good and I, it was very moving. I think I was also like trying to, <laughs> trying to emotionally prepare myself. Like, I think I'm really scarred from like movies like Coco and like, <laughs> Other animated films that get you real good, like that. They get you good. Yeah, you get and got. so I was like preparing myself for that, but um, probably the last twenty minutes of this film, I was crying. <laughs> yeah, and it was not like the Notebook where I felt manipulated. It was like this is a really moving and like important story, you know. Or yeah. there's like really important themes here. So um, it was. Uh, yeah, it was really emotional, but beautiful, like so beautiful. So beautiful. I just love Mirabel is like a of all like a Disney princess with glasses and curly hair mm-hmm. and like these things that so much of like the whiteification of cartoons and stuff they really didn't There's also diversity really, in, in color. It's so diverse. It the, yeah, the diversity in color within the family. Yeah. There are so many great memes of like of like highly melanated children watching this movie and being like, that's what I look like. In a way that even previous films um, that are featuring like a a quote animated, like diverse cast still like really the features that they're, that they're animating are very white and the, and all those things. And this was, is really just moving in such an incredible direction. Totally. I, when I was a kid and I talked to my sister about this, so our favorite Disney movies were, uh, Aladdin because of Jasmine, mm-hmm. Mulan, oh, yeah. and Pocahontas, and it was all okay. and, and we didn't like at the time like understand these are all the princesses that are women of color, right? Yeah, none of them are like our ethnicity, right? There, none of no. them are South American or you know Latin descent, but they were the closest things that we had, and so we kind of cobbled together <laughs> representation like from that, and those are I mean on repeat. Just those are the films that we watched like over and over and over again. And I didn't yeah. put it together until later that it was like, oh, that's why. It was like the small shreds of representation, you know. Totally. It's such an amazing and exciting thing to just see. I mean, there's a big movement right now of like the even just these like makeover movies that are so hurtful. Like A Princess Diaries is supposed to show like a normal girl and then they take away... And and turn her into a movie star, right? right? When it's right. like, because uh, a movie star has to look like that. When we're like, it's so cool to see like kids looking at yeah these characters. I really, um, I mean, I'm the youngest 
in my family and like really felt like the dud for a long time and really felt like I was the screw up and I was the one that was always so I like at the end like just seeing her get you know this acceptance and being valued for who she was as as a different person than the rest of them I was just crying being like oh man I probably should talk about this in therapy (laughs) like like, this is (laughs) I think there are a lot of moments of that because there's also like Mirabelle is is part of three sisters, so that also yeah. you know relatable. But for me, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, there's oh, there's yeah, I feel right. like a lot of moments of that, and I like to. I mean, maybe this is arguable, and maybe we'll talk about this. But Mirabelle didn't get powers, right? Like her evolution right. or her, uh, you know, re- resolution was not like, oh, I'm gonna get powers and be like the rest of my family. It's like no. Right. This is who I am, and I have actually have a huge impact and influence and power in being myself yes. um, and being different. And so I think that was a really, to your makeover point, right? She's not adhering to these norms of her family. She's being accepted for who she really is. Yeah, I think it's such a cool, it's a cool sort of direction it's a cool direction for them to be taking for these films in that we're really changing the narrative for kids mm-hmm. and these are the kinds of stories that really resonate so deeply totally with who these who these kids are what they want to be and there's so you know the relationship of kids being told how to be is is a one-to-one right every kid who grows up is told how to be mm-hmm. in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And the the fact that this story is about being how you are and letting that be enough, I think is really, and being caring and loving and and believing in yourself. And I don't know, it's I cheesy, think, but it's wonderful. Yeah, I think showing the conflict there too, because I think there are sometimes shows where it's just a perfect family or just like, this uh, notion of, of, you know, all these kids being accepted because their parents are magically perfect and like, oh, this is right. just harmony, right? And you're like, that's what, like, this is not relatable. Um, not but at I all. feel like demonstrating the conflict and then providing a resolution for it was so much more satisfying uh, than, you know, it's like addressing it, right? This is not something that everybody has. This is not something that's not kind of hard earned. Uh, and so I, I really like that aspect of it. Yeah, totally. This this idea of difference mm-hmm. and how, I mean, again, as a queer person watching this and being like, oh, your otherness is disruptive mm. to our family. Your otherness is unpleasant. Your otherness, sure, we love you. It's fine. But also, like, don't be that way around everybody, please. Do less of it, right? Even when she's, like, the, for that party, you know, maybe the best way you can help is by not helping And I mean, I just heard like, you know, subtle things of like, yeah, you know, maybe for your cousin's wedding, you don't bring a date because you don't want to draw attention, right? These things Mm -hmm. of like, what? Like, I'm not, I'm just, I'm here. And they'll be like, no, no, no. And we love that you're here, but could you just be less the way we want, (laughs) the way we need you to be just to like make things nice. Right. In a way that's like so... Right. Hurtful and right. painful. Right. Yeah. It's real. It's super real. It's very real. I watched it. I, I definitely saw it through such like a queer lens mm. as like the one who is not carrying on the family legacy. Yeah. I think a, probably a lot of people 
you know, saw aspects of their family dynamics or, you know, their, their lives in this. I think I posted like a thing on Instagram that was like, did you cry during Encanto or did you have a functional family? (laughs) Oh yeah, I saw that. (laughs) It's true. It is true. Yeah. It's true. Although I think the interesting thing is like the view of this family as like the pinnacle of functional in this little village in this that's <laughs> is is so powerful that you see like the most functional of them all Louisa gives that amazing song about like I'm strong but I'm so tired of being strong but yeah. the only time I'm validated is for being strong it's this weird dynamic where it's like the people who fit the mold feel completely caged in and the people who don't fit are completely shut out yep yeah. I have thoughts on that, too. I, that please. We'll, that, no, we'll, we'll get into it. But, yeah, if you want to start it off, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So I kind of fell down a rabbit hole because the first, the first thought that I had when I saw just, like, the first five minutes of the movie, right, is uh, Abuela and what's, what's the dad's name? Pedro, uh, sure. Okay, the dad. I, I the, don't remember his name. He's a snack, though. He's a real cutie. Yes, uh, abuelo. <laughs> He's I guess. a real cutie. Um, yeah. You know, you see them fleeing, and you see he's gone. Right, you see he gets taken away or is taken away, um, and she has three babies in her arms, and that's kind of mm. the, what you see. And then you see this beautiful yeah. village where they're the center of it, and mm-hmm. they have this beautiful house that's magical, and that you know, all of the children are are magical and grandchildren. And a lot of this is about, you know, setting up, like, I had these three children and they were perfect and then they had children and they're all perfect. You know, we all are, uh, you know, deeply empowered and helping everyone in this town and we're the center of this town and nothing, you know, even uh, Abuela spends a lot of time being like, nothing to see here, everything's perfect. You know, don't don't worry. Yeah. Uh, We've got it under control. Um, And so... That kind of Madrigal-centric, Abuela-centric situation coupled with the first thing you see is a very traumatic experience made me think that, okay, totally unfounded theory. I'm going to just guide you on a little journey to this rabbit (laughs) hole. And then I'm I'm not going to fall in, but I'm going to just... It's something that I thought about of what if Abuela invented this magical world to deal with the trauma of her husband dying in front of her eyes, literally putting up walls, barriers around this town between herself and the place where it happened, right? Because at the at the end when Mirabelle is like by the water, she's like, oh, I haven't been here. And it's literally walking distance and she's never been back to this place where this traumatic experience has happened. You know, some avoidance behavior maybe we're talking sure. about. Um, not being triggered, but, you know, this is not really a psychological like research informed theory but I did get into some philosophy and then there okay. are some really interesting uh philosophical takes on things that might support this as an idea so there is these two philosophers uh Linda Bordelotti and Eugenia Lancelotta at the University of Birmingham um philosophers who wrote a series of papers but you know one of those papers is called can delusions be adaptive and that's, oh, that I is, love this. <laughs> that is the framework with which I am working with. Okay. Yeah. So just to kind of level set delusions, 
a belief or altered reality that is persistently held despite evidence or agreement to the contrary, generally in reference to a mental disorder, right? So they're usually thought of as maladaptive, uh, one of the more serious symptoms of psychiatric illness, things that, Mm -hmm. you know, are come up, you know, on on these assessments and are generally fairly concerning and and pointing to more serious psychological disorders. Um, But basically, Mm -hmm. can delusions, can they be a response to crisis as opposed to a source of the crisis, right? So the way this might map onto trauma, can delusions be an adaptive coping strategy to deal with trauma, right? And we can call these maybe kind of motivated delusions, motivated self-deceptions, as a, as a defensive strategy, allowing yeah, they're the, protective. Exactly. Allowing the individual to see the world as they would like it to be. Um, and, you know, there's some evidence to suge- suggest that this is adaptive for um, people uh, who have, like, lost limbs, for <clears throat> example. Uh, dealing with such a drastic change to your life, uh, all right. of those negative emotions might be overwhelming. Uh, yeah. Might cause, you know, depression that might not allow the person to, to function well in the short term, because uh, they're also dealing with the physical difference, you know, the physical changes that are going right. on. And it'll, it, you know, from a survival aspect, it might impact their ability to survive. Um, and so it could potentially be protective in this case, um, especially when we're talking about, you know, she has three babies, no money, no place to live. Like, right. she has nothing. Right. This is a very drastic life change that she's going through. She has no support system anymore she's fleeing for her life with three right triplets like super traumatic yeah um and so although so this also makes me think that abuela was destined to reckon with her magical beliefs uh at some point and you know mirabel right. being being this person to do that but it also kind of fits in with like okay this was this is what it was always meant to happen and the, you know, extin- extinguishing of that flame, the cracks in the foundation of the house may be reality <laughs> trying to come in. Yeah. Um, and so there's this really interesting uh, metaphor that these philosophers, Ryan McKay and Daniel Dennett, Daniel Dennett is actually a philosopher from Tufts. Uh, good, oh, really? Good jumbos, yeah. Um, but anyways, they came up with this metaphor called the, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce this, doxastic sheer pin, Okay. All right. I literally saw this and was of like, I have, to, I have to know what this is and I have to talk about it. It's, I mean, yeah. So doxastic is basically referring to one's attitudes and belief system. Um, and so this was a broader, like 70 page paper on self-deception, misbelief, how that can be adaptive. Um, okay. and, and they actually end up rejecting this as a, a true thing, but it's actually been adopted and kind of took off with other philosophers. But basically... So a shear pin, because I had to look this up too, because I have no idea what yeah, I don't a shear pin word. is, but it's basically used in mechanics. Um, it's a metal piece, like a bolt or something. It's designed to break if there's a mechanical overload of pressure or force. Wow. So it's like a sacrificial part of a mechanical system that breaks to prevent really serious damage. Right. Um, and so it allows the machine to keep functioning although it's in an impaired way. And so when it's applied in this kind of metaphor, you know, it could allow uh, incorrect beliefs about reality or delusions. Right. Allow a cognitive or psychological system to avoid collapse um, and continue functioning, albeit in an impaired way. And yeah, so... that makes total sense. Yeah, so I was like, 
I I think there's something here. There <laughs> Even is. though it's insane, but like I just it was the first thought that was like, well, is this real? That was absolutely. my first thought. Well, this this is actually uh, what the framework is under the belief of sort of the diathesis stress model of mm. dissociative dissociative identity disorder, which is what more colloquially known as multiple personalities. Right is typically uh, the belief is that this presents uh, following severe trauma, typically in childhood, where the mind sort of breaks, mm. uh, th- like this doxastic shear pin. Is that right? Yeah, Did I yeah, say it correctly? yeah. Okay. Uh, like that. And so your brain is now adapting these new sort of personalities yeah. in order to better cope with the world. So this is actually right in line with what we know or what we posited. Again, this is theoretical. There's a lot that it's not known about dissociative identity disorder. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, I kind of love this. I mean, you know, the psychotic disorders like um, schizophrenia, which is kind of the most well-known, mm-hmm. just for those listening, when someone says psychotic, what they are actually saying is someone who's having either delusions or hallucinations typically. Right. Although we use that word like interchangeable with psychopath which actually has nothing to do with delusions or hallucinations. And so if someone says someone's psychotic, usually it means they're more at risk to be harmed by other people than they are to harm uh, others themselves. Uh, But no, so I think that is the diathesis stress model. A diathesis, for those listening, is the sort of predisposed genetic factors that that mean you have a, a risk, right? There's a risk for it, and then you experience a stress which sort of pops that shear pin and and is supposed to be somewhat adaptive totally. in order to help you cope, but of course has maladaptive outcomes, mm-hmm. which would be, you know, the struggle, the difficulty living in the world as others see it. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually got up to the, di- what, how, you, how do you pronounce it? Diathesis. Diathesis stress model and uh-huh. was like, okay, got to back it up, got to like <laughs> yeah. keep in one uh, kind of domain. But uh, totally, I yeah. think that makes complete sense. But it was something that I kind of ran away with and thought would be a really interesting interpretation of this movie. Um, I think it's a really fun interpretation. Yeah. Uh, So for my sort of interpretation, I didn't do a lot of like Google scholarly kind of research. I more was like, okay, I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist. What is my understanding of the themes as a therapist that are playing out in here and the ways that I see it? And I really like that, you know, I think of most mental health conditions, most quote, like disorders as uh, somewhat adaptive, right? They're, they're rooted in some sort of protective function. Mm-hmm. And these things that uh, previously, um, you know, anxiety, uh, generalized anxiety, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, and even obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, all of which kind of play out in this movie in different ways, mm-hmm. are all what used to be considered, quote, like anxiety disorders, um, they are not currently all categorized under that same way in the DSM-5, but um, I, I sort of still conceptualize them in that their primary function is to do with the relationship between safety and avoidance. Mm. And so your brain has something it is afraid of. It does what it can to avoid the thing it is afraid of. And that is reinforced behaviorally. So you have something that you don't want to happen. You work really hard to make sure it doesn't happen. And then when it doesn't happen, you feel relief. Mm -hmm. And that's reinforcing. So it's kind of this addictive cycle in a way. So, you know, generalized anxiety, right, is of course, oh, no, I'm afraid. I'm afraid all the time. So I worry all the time. And then if the bad thing doesn't happen, 
then I convinced, I, I'm a little bit convinced that my worrying is what did it. Right. Post-traumatic stress disorder is similar. Something horrible has happened. Your brain and your body is working so hard to keep you safe mm-hmm. from this horrible thing happening. So you avoid all sorts of things, right? This, this grandmother has been, you know, through something horrific and she is now in this magic protective bubble. Mm-hmm. And so she becomes what we call hyper vigilant at protecting this magical bubble. Yeah. And so that is now overgeneralized to the extent where anything that doesn't fit within the idea of reinforcing this magic protective bubble, like Mirabelle, mm-hmm. becomes a threat to the bubble. So it's this idea that she's working so, so, so hard to stay safe that she's actually now harming, she's actually now endangering. So that's where post-traumatic stress reactions become a post-traumatic stress disorder, mm. right? So the idea that you're so afraid something bad will happen that now you, you're you not allowed to experience anything good right. either. You're right. so protected, you're so afraid, you're so upset, right? You're so anxious that now you're not even able to sleep. And now if you're not able to sleep, you're not able to enjoy any day. And, and so it's this um, sort of, ironic uh, situation because now you work so hard to protect yourself that you're miserable all the time. And so you're like, I'm protecting myself from feeling bad. But the, the, the flip side is that now I feel bad all the time. Right. And the, I mean, speaking about like sleep and those kind of behaviors are actually making it harder for you to recover yeah. in any way. Much harder. Yeah. You you believe, you're doubling down on this belief. And even, you know, Bruno shows very clear symptoms of obsessive compulsive mm-hmm. disorder. Yeah. And and obs- obsessive compulsive disorder, for those, you know, is not uh, the sort of colloquial thing of being obsessed with neatness or being obsessed with organization and order. Right. Um, obsessive compulsive disorder has two pieces. One, obsessions, which are intrusive, persistent, un- unending, unrelenting thoughts. That, and then compulsions, which you do to uh, essentially compensate for whatever these thoughts are. Whatever the fear is you're gonna, is going to happen, you do something typically very unrelated uh, to protect yourself. So you see Bruno, who is so afraid of upsetting people or of harming people or of hurting people or of bad things happening that he's constantly having to knock five times on wood. Mm-hmm. And he's got these things because... He is so he is so conditioned and so afraid that anything he does will break this magic that he is now trying to keep his family safe by living in the walls and knocking on wood. And he never tells anybody anything because he's so afraid of being ostracized and disliked. So now instead of being ostracized from the family, he ostracizes himself. Right. Instead of the family not wanting to see him, he chooses not to see the family. Yeah, it's even though he, sort of backwards. he deeply loves them, right? He the, loves yeah. the family so much. Yeah. And, you know, Abuela loves the family and she's loving the family so hard that she's hurting the family, mm-hmm. right? You see, the entire family now has to operate under Abuela's anxieties, yeah. Abuela's po- uh, trauma. Right. Now, the any, every single member of this family, although Mirabel's mom kind of doesn't seem to have too many strugs. I but, know, uh, yeah, she's just yeah. kind of this lovely presence. <laughs> she's just kind of happy. Yeah. Um, her aunt Peppa, is not okay. allowed to have any yes, feelings That's at a huge, all. yes, 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 yes. I totally yeah. noticed that of like her, and I think a lot of their kind of quote-unquote gifts uh, are being used to kind of help the town, right? Or, you know, 
a strength of, of helping like herd animals or like beauty yeah. or like, you know, all of these different kinds of things. But Peppa's does not have a clear, like positive impact on the community that I saw. Um, well, the, the, the hard thing for Peppa is she has to be happy. Right. In order to benefit the family, which is kind of true for everyone right, in right. this family where, um, what's her older sister, the flowers one? Isabel. Isabel has to be perfect and joy. And you see the way that Isabel, who seems to be thriving. Totally. Seems to be living her most glamorous life, is miserable and yeah. is going to marry someone she doesn't want to marry just to keep this illusion mm-hmm. going. Mm-hmm. To, to and so make the people her that are, family happy, yeah. To make her family happy. So the people that are doing well are miserable and the people that are doing poorly are miserable. Mm-hmm. And it's the and the ways in which this is such a very clear metaphor for you know, for intergenerational trauma in the sense that like when you know, uh, a grandparent or an elder goes through something horrific. Mm -hmm. It is then put to the kids that in order to do well, in order to be happy, you must align with whatever the family's safest thing is, which a lot of times we see in families as like academic financial success um, or, you know, marrying into a way that will continue to protect the family, right? In order to keep the family safe. And this is so... This is universal, right? I, I mean, this is so many different... Unless you come from uh, a long history of tremendous wealth and safety. Although, to be honest, there's not a lot of families where there isn't trauma. Totally. Uh, this family in particular is a very clear metaphor for, you know, um, being a refugee. <laughs> a very clear metaphor for racism, mm-hmm. colonialism. Um, all the ways in which to exist in this society, we must engage at a 10 in goodness or what as de, as determined by the matriarch right. which is is so limiting and is so hard then to be the one who doesn't fit absolutely yeah yeah well i yeah so i have like this uh this what a uh, graphic or whatever from this instagram account because i feel like i just happen to follow several instagram accounts that are like a lot about trauma um, sure. And this same. is Brown Girl Trauma. Do you follow that? I love Brown Girl so Trauma good. as an Instagram account. Yeah. Y'all, if you're listening, follow at Brown Girl Trauma. Yes. We are so, not sponsored or affiliated. No, no. It's just really good. It's content. really, really good. And so they have this little graphic about uh, intergenerational trauma and the kinds of events slash activities or behaviors that might be associated with uh, grandparents, parents, and uh, ch- you know, children. Um, yeah. And so grandparents, there's there's kind of two types of origin trauma right some of it's historical some some of these are like big events like slavery or you know these these big events uh that uh happen to a, a large group of people um you know the holocaust like just sy- systemic yeah. oppression uh, but then there's more uh you know individual kind of trauma like domestic violence abuse um you know, extreme poverty, things like that. And so those are the mm-hmm. kinds of traumas that can kind of originate with the grandparents and result in, you know, PTSD, um, chemical be- dependencies, right, substance abuse uh, as coping mechanisms or even like uh, just the way that they're parenting in general and, and passing those beliefs down. Um, and then parents may have some, uh, their kind of responses to that may be, you know, alcoholism, uh, repressed anger, emotional issues, untreated mental illness, codependency, 
Um, and then how that can manifest in the children or the grandchildren is approval seeking, identity yeah. confusion, eating disorder, um, depression, anxiety, attachment issues, also codependency. And so there's this interesting kind of three layers to this that can really um, just continue manifesting down generations. Um, yeah. And I think perfectionism is, is one that, that I really yeah. noticed. Um, totally. Yeah. And so children and grandchildren's gifts to me, again, putting <laughs> putting abuela in this delusional <laughs> state, which uh, may or may not be fair, but uh, basically abuela might be seeing some of these traits in these children and projecting those onto the children. Well, I, I definitely think that there are a lot of people who can relate to being the one who is told that your moods dictate the temperature of the room mm-hmm. in the family mm-hmm. and you're therefore labeled as moody, as emotional, as yeah. overreacting, as any of those things. I think a lot of people could relate to being the one who is at least told and the, and then therefore the whole family reinforces the dynamic that your mood is, you know, can can set off everyone. So you need to make sure to hold it together because you can't be upset because when you get upset, it becomes everyone's problem right. i mean right that's a real that's so, a real dynamic in families totally it's a you know i think there's this real culture of approval seeking from abuela yeah. perfectionism or dysfunctional perfectionism and i did a little research into kind of the relationship between uh maternal goal expression so how you know moms yeah. are expressing their uh, expectations for their children's for their children and um, how children endorse uh, beliefs or attitudes about perfectionism. Yeah. Um, and so there, there's a lot of research uh, on this topic, but there's kind of three types of perfectionism. One is self-striving or self-oriented, which is, you know, setting high standards for yourself, really strong personal motivation for, you know, just being perfect. Um, they're socially prescribed, so standards are set by other people, and their right. approval and or love is contingent right. upon you meeting those expectations. Right. Um, and then there's also this other aspect, concern over mistakes, so how, uh, how negatively you appraise, like when you make a mistake, how negatively you feel about that and internalize right. it or, or, you know, handle it. Um, and then there's three types of maternal goal expression, so there's direct expectations, uh, so, for example, like I had set high standards for my child. Um, there's controlling expectations. For example, only outstanding performance is good enough in our family and non-contingent encouragement. So trying hard is more important than being the best. Right. And so um, direct expectations were associated positively with students self-striving. So, you know, uh, not having this conditional aspect of it, but just saying, like, I have high standards. I set high standards and the child feeling that personal motivation to do that. Um, But negatively with socially prescribed perfectionism um, and controlling expectations. So this, you know, only outstanding performance is good enough was associated with socially prescribed perfectionism. Um, Uh And so we see that relationship of the way that parents are, you know, talking to their children, talking about their expectations and the way children are uh, internalizing that. And thinking, yeah. you know, that their approval or their love is contingent upon meeting these expectations. Yeah. And that's really a, a specific type of perfectionism that 
sounds like is what's going on at least in some ways in this family this really approval seeking behavior and wanting to not be the one that um like disrupts this family uh this kind of delicate balance that they're in because of abuela's trauma um and i think it's sorry go ahead i was just gonna say i mean it is such an interesting dynamic when perfectionism can switch from this idea of pursuing an achievement to actually avoiding uh, a negative outcome. And then therefore in that sort of perfectionistic viewpoint to achieve is only to avoid bad. Yeah. And you actually lose the ability to see and connect it to the good. So for, you know, I've worked in college counseling for years and I've worked at uh, some really elite universities where you see students so anxious, so anxious, not because they really want an A, but because they really fear a B mm-hmm, or a C. Mm-hmm. And and this, and the relationship becomes so separated. And it's this idea, this, I, I mean, this, I really like this maternal sort of viewpoint of it because the idea goes from, I want to you know, impress and achieve for so that my parents are proud of me to I want to avoid my parents' disappointment. Yeah. Which is so deep. Yeah. And it's felt I mean, some of the most the harshest things a parent can say to to a kid are to look at them and say, Oh, I'm so glad I don't have to worry about you. Yeah. You know, and and, and you see that with the other kids in that you see that with Isabel, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh I'm so, it's so great that Isabel is gonna marry this guy, is gonna do I'm so glad we don't have to worry about Isabel. And she cracks because of it and then Mirabel has the opposite of this which is you're never going to meet my expectations right and so she's striving always 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 as such a she's seen as a try hard Mm -hmm. in that way as a perfectionist and and the other is seen yeah it's and you see that uh play out in their relationship with one another too because this is a competitive uh you know competing for survival aka love atmosphere And it really causes strain in their relationship where each one doesn't see the other ones. You know, like, why can't you be like Isabel to uh, Mirabelle? Like, why can't you be more perfect? Why can't you just, you know, stop like trying so hard? And Mirabelle, like really resenting Isabel, like, why are you so, you know, perfect all the time? Why do you and why do you have no compassion for my position? Exactly. Yeah, I will say as as a as a neurodivergent kid where like the and it didn't work well mm-hmm. in my family like there was like the word even just like words like potential right are such hurtful words Absolutely. to a child yeah. it is saying as you are is disappointing but i'm wrapping this in this pseudo compliment that i believe you could be better yeah. more like just just a better version of whatever kid you currently are right. and it is devastating and it's up to you right like it's and it's all in your control right if you just did things differently you could be someone worth loving yes (laughs) you know yeah yes and that's what you know and that's what mirabel is being they're sort of saying that they love her despite her being a disappointment yes right despite her letting everyone down they you know and and she there's this like patronizing acceptance, right? Yes, uh, yeah. this patronizing acceptance, which I mean, and interestingly, and probably plays out in a lot of families. If you notice, Abuela also doesn't have magic powers. Mm-hmm. And yet the one she has the hardest trouble loving is her only direct descendant that doesn't have magic powers. Oof. Woof. <laughs> 
<laughs> I see in you what I dislike in me. Absolutely. That yeah. is so real. So real. Ugh, I got to talk about this in my own therapy. <laughs> this is real. This is just like unlocking a lot of things. I need to like have a little journaling time after this. Well, and I do want to give a little love to Abuela yes, in the sense that, like, as we said, as we said, so, right, the, the this idea of intergenerational trauma so often in the way that largely, like, most of this research started, as most research starts because of nightmare white supremacy, racism, all the things, a lot of this starts from this very, like, white view of things, which then once you start to talk about the ways that intergenerational trauma impacts children, it now becomes the job of the traumatized to heal the mm-hmm. next generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I think of, I, I always think of trauma, as I said, from a very adaptive way. And I, and I think about this uh, sort of a metaphor where um, uh, Joanna was actually uh, around for this. This was in our first year of graduate school. Uh, we were going to Thanksgiving and I sliced open my hand yes. uh, that morning. Yeah. Right. And so I had to, so again, this is a metaphor and I understand that, it is not the same as trauma, believe me. So I sliced open my hand and I, um, so in order to keep it from bleeding, I curled my hand in to a fist. Uh, and I had to hold my hand in this fist while I drove myself to the emergency room, while I then waited in the emergency room for like two and a half hours. And the whole time I had a very deep cut in my hand. So I kept a clenched fist for hours. Finally, after I think it was two or three hours, I meet with the doctor who's gonna give me stitches and I couldn't open my hand. Wow. Because I'd been, I'd had a clenched fist for that long, yeah, right? Yeah. And so, in order for me to be healed, I had to do something that everything in my body was like, don't, you big dumb idiot, don't do this. Yeah. Do not open up. Why would you open up? This, you are, you will bleed out. Yeah. And I had to, I literally had to have a nurse help pry open my hand in order to do this thing mm-hmm. in order for me to get care in order for me to be taken care of so so abuela is is clenching her fist totally and so when the family is like no i need a so- i need you to touch me with a soft hand and 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 gently she's like i've got access only to this fist mm-hmm. i and you telling me who didn't who is not sliced open that i need to open my hand can Fuck off. Yeah. Like, what are you trying to do? And so, you know, the understanding of intergenerational trauma is is so burdensome on the, like, it, it really puts the onus on those who have been harmed. And, and so I think it's really important to acknowledge as we look, and again, when we talk about intergenerational trauma, it's largely people of color in this country that we're looking at the ways in which this tends to be because they're, they're the most under-resourced, right? They are the most... Uh, well, that's trauma, right? That's a type that's of trauma. trauma. I mean, this is not even exactly. just like within this country. It's it's everywhere, right? Like, right. I, yeah, exactly. It's exactly. related to just general oppression, poverty. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 And so we punish the sick for not taking care of the sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it is like, I do think it's important to acknowledge that like, this is a big part of why we need broader uh, resources and we need to work toward I, I hate when people say end the stigma, but when, when we need to have real conversations about the ways in which mental health uh, both negatively impact us and and protect us, right? Yeah. The, these, these, these reactions are functional. And, totally. And also harmful. Yeah. But they, we got to acknowledge that they're starting from a protective place 
And I think these kinds of conversations are what will help people to eventually see, you know, whenever I see somebody as a therapist with PTSD, I start with being like, yeah, I, that makes sense. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I'm not going to tell you like, oh, you should be able to go see, you know, scary movies. Right. Like because they're just scary movies. Something horrible happened. Something horrible happened. Yeah. And your body and brain are working so hard to keep you safe. Yeah. Babe. <laughs> you deserve safety. Absolutely. And you're working your hardest and you're making yourself miserable to try to find it. And that is what we want to, you know, slowly walk back from. And maybe you need somebody to help you unclench that fist. And that is what Abuela needs. I mean, the thing she fears most happens. And, and Abuela, this is in a way its own sort of exposure therapy. Um, the thing she fears most happens and she's then able to unclench because she realizes, you Yeah, know, I wonder if there's uh, a distance like requirement too though because like Mirabel and Antonio, like they both don't even know what happened to Bruno. They're that young. So like yeah. they may just have enough distance from these kind of you know, the initial trauma, obviously, but also the direct consequences following that, that probably, you know, the the parents experienced as children. Um, and, and maybe, you know, she can see a little bit uh, or, or reach like Abuela a little bit easier. Um, but there are these like behavioral and genetic kind of uh, the ways that this is transmitted through generations, yeah. right? So it's, yeah. it's really, really hard to tease apart. There have been some really interesting studies. Um, but, you know, there's not only, as what you're talking about, you know, there's the responses to trauma that inform parenting beliefs and yeah. parenting attitudes, the way yeah. that they parent their children, the way their children parent their children, right? So these kind of attitudes, beliefs, uh, values are passed down. Um, mm-hmm. There's also some some evidence that there are genetic differences, at least um, epigenetics, right? So that's yeah. not actual changes in your DNA, but really changes in the way your DNA is read by your body and genes are turned on and off. Um, yeah. But there's uh, this really like huge uh, uh, literature on um, people who are Holocaust survivors and their mm-hmm. uh, their offspring and then you know grandchildren and this is uh, a lot of work done by Rachel Yehuda at um, Mount Sinai but um, demonstrating that there are epigenetic differences in the DNA of grandchildren of Holocaust survivors so this is not just happening from a behavioral level this is influencing genetics in your body there's a lot of caveats here though right so a lot of caveats is causation you know, correlation is not causation, right? So is, totally. it, is it that these genetic differences were there, you know, initially and maybe those influenced the way uh, parents responded to trauma? Or, you know, there there can be different interpretations of, of which came first, right? Right. There can also um, be uh, just really, there's really interesting things about like um, these studies are just studying like a few generations, but... There's a lot more um, that needs to be done in terms of the number of generations because something I found out, this is a total aside, but something I found out that I never thought about is um, there can be, you know, changes to the actual gametes, so eggs or sperm, right? Yeah. Um, Eggs are 
like a woman or, you know, a girl is born with all of the eggs that she will ever have in her lifetime. So Mm -hmm. literally you were an egg in your mother when she was a fetus in your grandmother. Right. Like I... In 1948. Like that... Sorry, that like blew my mind. I like didn't think about that, right? But like literally you were like kind of there. (laughs) Half my DNA was just hanging out (laughs) in 1948. Um, and so, you Sorry know, for it, aging you, Mom. <laughs> and so it's possible that there are um, biological consequences within one person, right? right? That can all have had impacts on two generations down. And so, you know, you would probably, to really study this, would need to study great-grandchildren. Um, right. And a much larger sample. But um, there's some really interesting evidence that there is some, at least some level of, of, of gene or epigenetic, like, transmission or, or yeah. basis for some of these behavioral things that we see so um it's super interesting yeah and it's super interesting and and it falls right on in line with what some, something that we'll probably say a lot on this podcast is it's it's all part of what we call the biopsychosocial model mm-hmm. of mental health right biological genetic uh, you know brain structures all of those things psychological your own personal experience of it and social the ways in which you are socialized to to experience right? yeah so and the, that's that's a good point too that i that we didn't mention is the cultural uh environment in which you are raised right so right? potentially the grandparent level or you know the the person who experienced the trauma may have been in a culture where there was no resources for mental health there was yeah. no way to talk about it there was no way to cope right. um and so that would make it even harder for someone to to manage and deal with their own trauma. Yeah. It's so common that older generations will be incredibly critical of younger generations in an effort to protect them Mm -hmm. because it resolves their own distress to know their their child is safe. So they would rather a child be feel, uh, they would rather a child fall in line so that they feel safe Then have a child be seen, which makes them, which makes the grandparent or parent feel concerned, right? And so it's the thing of, um, you know, not wanting to reinforce a a trans or a gender diverse kid's pronouns Mm -hmm. because they're like, I don't want to encourage this behavior because the world will hate them for it. So instead, I will tell them they are wrong because if I know that they can just fight through it and not be trans or gender diverse or queer or whatever, then I will f- sleep easier. So it is this sort of short-sighted decision to, and, and what we know though, and again, this is intergenerational trauma. This is, you know, when we look at the, the ways in which all of this works, right? It's reinforced because I'm working so hard to keep you safe. Right. Um, but when we see the way that, and sort of the, what, what this movie does in the end is it brings in acceptance with, for Mirabel, Mirabel as she is. And so like, even like some of the statistics we have for like trans kids is like, if one adult in their life uses their pronouns, the rate of attempted suicide goes from 40% to 4%. Wow. One adult using their pronouns. So this one person saying, I see you, I value you. Yeah. Can literally save lives. Literally. Wow. Um, I, I mean, that's a huge, it's, it's an unbelievable difference, yeah. right? And it's, and it's as simple as having one person who says you're okay as you are, which mm-hmm. Mirabel has that and doesn't have that, right? Because yes, her mom will say it and her dad will say it, but her grandmother is so constantly reinforcing this idea that she's a Yeah, I mean, she's not the, like, it, it, she's not the matriarch. 
right. her parents, the, the yeah, her mom is not the matriarch. The way that this family is structured, which is, you know, more common in, in South American and Latin just like culturally, yeah. right? Or just collectivistic culture in general yeah. where you have a much larger family unit. Right. Yeah. So like she she may feel that way, but she's just as much a part of the system totally. as Mirabel is. And so the power there may not be as like helpful. Yeah. Dang. Well. We didn't have anything to say about this one. <laughs> I love this movie so much. I love this movie so much. Uh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah. I've, Where can they find us, Joanna? On Instagram at Real Psych. Yeah, at Real Psych. Go follow us, please. We actually uh, post uh, a few days before the episode airs. We post what the movie's gonna be so that you guys can go and watch it. There's some feedback, really good feedback that we got of like, okay, you know, when the episode drops, it would be really great if I knew so I could watch the movie beforehand. Um, exactly. So you should follow us so you can find out what our next uh, podcast is going to be before it Follow drops. us, DM us with ideas yes. of what you'd like to hear. Also, uh, make sure you've subscribed and make sure you've hit the alert button if you're on Spotify. Um, give us a review and please, 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 we are a brand new mini widow baby. <laughs> and so please tell your friends. Uh, we are so happy to have you all on this journey with us. Yes. I have been Dr. J.D. Barton. And I have been Dr. Joanna Witkin. Bye bye. Bye. Uh, Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.